Welcome to All Power to the Developing, a podcast of the Eastside Institute, where social justice, human development, and community building come together. This is where you will meet activists, artists, teachers, scholars, helpers, and healers who are bringing creativity, hope, and possibility to individuals and communities all over the world. and welcome to All Power to the Developing. Um, I am your host today. I am the leader of education and research here at the Eastside Institute. I am also an associate professor of education at the Rutgers University Graduate School of Education. And I am very, very pleased to have with me today my friend, my colleague, um, Lorena Elizondo. Um, Hello, Lorena. Hi, Carrie. How are you? Good, I'm good. Lorena is a um, pedagogue in Mexico. She lives in Mexico City. She's a facilitator and an independent consultant. She has her BA in educational theater from New York University, right down the street from me. Um, And um, Lorena and I first got to know each other because I was looking for people who are playful in their activism and who work with activists to support everything from making transformation in their communities to changing the whole world, um, and but who do that and approach that in a playful way. And I found Lorena, which has been a delight. And we've done several different things together since then. And today we're here to chat with all of you. So thank you, Lorena, for being here with me. No, thank you, Carrie. The delight is all mine. I'm very oh. privileged to have gotten to know you. <laughs> thank you. So... When I introduced you, I said you were a consultant, um, you know, and that that's that word probably has many, many different meanings in different languages. But I think of it um, as something people often choose because it gives them more freedom in how they work. Right. Being a consultant, you can be somewhat more independent of institutional constraints. Again, I'm not saying this is always the case, um, but also you can be a little bit more choosy if you will, about what it is that you do. So I thought by way of sort of introducing yourself to everybody, you could say a little of how did you come to consulting, to being a consultant? And I think specifically, do you see it or have you found it to be a way to meld what I see as two aspects of your work, which is that you're an activist, you're somebody who's politically active and, and looks at the world and says, I want to make change. And you're a theater and play worker and creator. So is has being a consultant allowed you to meld those? And if so, have how? Um, I, th- I think so. I mean, I think consulting work is very playful in itself um, mm-hmm. because at least how I envy what consulting work is, um, you kind of have to look at the client and be like, what is it that they need and what character can I put on that can help them achieve what they mm. want to achieve, right? So in that sense, for me, it has always been very performatic, not because it's not that it's not me who's there consulting, but because I try to look for ways in which who I am in the role that I take and whatever it is that I am being asked to consult in 
gives the client what they need to achieve their goals. And that for me is a very playful kind of relationship to myself and to other people. So I think that in that way, theater always comes into my life. Um, <laughs> even though maybe that consulting in itself is not playful, although it tends to be because of the type of work I do. Well, and, and maybe you could share a little bit about what that is. Like, who do you consult for? Who are your clients? And what do they have to do for you with activism and and, and changing things? Well, it really is very, um, very diverse, right? Um, I work with NGOs a lot, but I also work with big uh, businesses, right? And um, international businesses that especially that they want to like, think about gender in a different way or that they are having certain conflicts around um, how people relate to each other or how biases come into their work and that bias um, is affecting the product or it's affecting the relationships between coworkers. And so what I do is come up with different ways in which, first of all, we can study that right? Like, mm. how can we really figure out what's going on? Because one thing is being like, oh, there's all this conflict in this office. Like, we have so many conflicts. We don't know what to do about it. And they can have certain ideas of where that conflict comes from. But once you get in there mm. and you study it and you think about, like, hearing it from the people that are having the conflict, mostly things come out that weren't expected, mm. right? Sorry. <coughs> Sorry, my post-COVID is like never going uh, away. I feel. Yeah, no, that's, I think we all have to live <laughs> with endless coughs and sneezes these days. Yes. But, okay, so I was saying, um, basically, once you get to play with people, sometimes we don't even know what our conflicts are, right? Or we don't even know what are the biases that are mm. informing certain conflicts. And so when you do groups and you play with groups and you kind of see through their eyes and through their fictions and through the things that they create, you get to be like, oh, maybe the conflict is not really about the work, but about mm. the way in which the work is being asked. Or maybe what needs to tr transform is the way in which we think about promotions here and the way that has been communicated or, you know, like it can be certain things like that. Or it can be like there are certain biases around gender that are creating conflict because we are we have very rigid like ideas about what gender is. And so what can we do to kind of pedagogically address that? And those are just examples like with big um, corporations or with businesses, right? And then on the other hand, you have the work I do with NGOs or with like smaller organizations. And that I think has... Both have to do with my activism because I really do believe that people should learn how to dialogue more and resolve conflicts in different ways. And the more that we think about ourselves and how our biases come into play, the more we can transform those biases and transform the mm. world we live in. But I think that with the NGOs, it's a little bit more on the nose, the activism part, in the sense of I do a lot of helping organizations organize, right? So I, I'm helping with organizing different feminist organizations into an anti-militarist network, for example, that can work together mm. to kind of confront uh, the problems that are happening in the country. Or I helped, um, I helped people be, they, they're like, oh, we really want to do this type of activism. And so I'll be like, okay, so this is a movement space and like how, what exactly do you want? And through games and through dialogue and through different processes, I try to help them 
figure out what they have in common and how they can organize towards the, that goal that they have, right? Or that they want. So let me let me pick up on on one of the one of the things you just said and and see if we can paint a picture around it, if you will. So you just referenced trying to bring feminist bringing feminist organizations together to kind of work, I assume, coalitionally around militarization. So I think for many people listening, the idea of being playful and militarization like would not go together in a sentence at all, right? It'd be like, you can't be playful in the face of um, that kind of violence. So tell me a little of like, and I would think some of the people you're working with must start from that bias, right? I, I would guess. Um, so tell me a little of that process, maybe be, you know, some examples of, and also why you've, why you've chosen to bring playfulness together with such a, such an issue. Well, I think for me, I bring playfulness everywhere because I do think it's the best tool that we have in order to create outside of what we already know. I think Mm -hmm. that we have been taught through many, many years to kind of communicate a certain way to present a certain persona to the world, to participate in spaces in very kind of normed and like squared ways. So when I say I'm bringing playfulness into this, it's not necessarily that I'm bringing playfulness into the military or that necessarily the actions that come out of the work we do are playful because I work with very serious lawyers and people that are not necessarily going to, the actions that come out of what the work we do together are not necessarily playful. I think they should be, but I think everything should be playful, but that's not really what I do with them. What I do with them is more how we organize, how we think Mm. about solutions, how we think about these problems. How does feminism and militarism connect? What are all the different things that do connect there? Like what are the points that they have in common with how is it that the way in which feminism has historically been a political movement, the tools that feminism has used, how can it help us to think about how we can confront the militarism that is happening in our country, right? So through games, uh, we can start thinking or through activities that kind of take them into a fictional space, we can start thinking Mm. about ways in which those connect or like what our unconscious are telling us. Or it can help help us vol- like be vulnerable in the space. And when we are vulnerable in a space, we show that we are more than the character that we want everyone else to see. And that creates more cohesive groups, right? When mm. we can really show each other in vulnerable spaces, when we can laugh at each other because we did something ridiculous in this on stage, and then we can be like, oh, you know, that gives me this idea or right when we suddenly confess something in the group because it's part of the game and then we're like oh no that oh i don't know if that's me and then we all laugh together about whatever happened that creates a space in which we can do mistakes in which we can open up and be like okay so you are human too and Mm -hmm. then like perfectness that i'm always trying to show everyone that i'm like especially like i feel like sometimes feminist spaces 
tend to be very like, I am the perfect feminist. I am so <laughs> deconstructed and I have no issues anymore because I am the feminist. And I think that that like sometimes becomes this like ruler that we measure each other with, right? Like, are you as feminist as I am? No, I am more feminist. And that creates uh, competition that is unnecessary and that creates spaces that in the end are not really being authentic, right? Yeah. Give an example of a time you've worked with a group or, or with a, yeah, you know, um, and I think what you're saying right now is just so important about what kinds of environments, that's the language I would use, are needed for people to do the challenging work of um, having each other's backs as you work to confront, you know, the challenges going on in the world and in your community. Um, I use a lot of improv in like in the spaces I'm in. I am particularly, I'm a really big fan of, I don't know what it's called in English, but I, I'm, I've played it in NYU, so I'm sure that it exists. Say it in, in Spanish. It's just panel expertas. Ah, expert, an expert panel. or Yeah, a, like yeah. an expert panel, right? And so I really like to use that when we're thinking about how different people think about things, right? And so I remember like, like every character has a different level of expertise. And then the panelists kind of ask them questions and they have to represent that character or they have to represent um, mm. someone from a population or they have to represent, right? And like using that, for example, to think about like, there's a lot of people in this country that love the military because the police is so corrupt, because mm. the police has so many problems. So like, how can we get like step into those shoes right and like where do we think about from there so what are the different ways why does the government love militarization why does the like why do the people love it why do right and like talking through that in fiction and doing like a little kind of panel expertas can help to kind of think about other ways in which we think about things right or um i remember with another group i also worked with militarization a couple of years ago we did a lot of like, what would you do if you were best friends with a general? Like, how mm -hmm. would you convince them to do a different type of strategy? Or what would you do if you were best friends with the president? Like, how would you convince them? What would your strategies as a collective be against militarization if you were like best friends with the president or if you were, right? And like thinking about different areas of power to also think about what narratives could work and what narratives don't really work are like just some mm. like really small examples. And that has to do with how like we create outside, right? But it also, sorry, did, were you gonna say something? I see mm -mm. no? Um, and how we create also kind of this like idea of being vulnerable with each other yeah. also has to do with how we dream, right? And how we can dream together. So another improvisation that I really like to do is um, when we, when you, do like a news like you know, a newscast like, like a newscast yes so if you think about like what would you want um like the news to say about your collective in 10 years mm. and so you put them in different groups that they imagine like the different things that would be said of like their accomplishments and then you can work backwards right like mm. if that's what you would want then what would you need to do to kind of get there yeah. And you go into dreaming and it's magical and it's fiction and you don't really think about the realism of that or not. But then you can like kind of bring it back down and be like, okay, so how do we use that to like create where do we want to go? 
Yeah, I, I, what you're talking about reminds me of some conversations we've had previously. Like you've hinted at it in, in the things that you're saying. And I think about it when we talk about um, if you're best friends with a general um, or even a, a future dreaming piece that I think of play, and you've said this, as one of the things that helps us get out of dualisms, out of black and white, um, the binds of good and evil, um, right and wrong, progress and conservatism. Like even when you said, um, you know, we were talking earlier before we started about the militarization of the police in Mexico, um, which, you know, what I understand that to mean is rather than having a local police force, the police force becomes a part of the military um, and therefore has many more of the powers that the military has. Um, and their training. And that, you know, for many people, there's a positive, they see a positive maybe in that, right? Because they're so, they've been so hurt by the police over the years. But it does seem like a situation where it'd be easy to get into for activists. This is right. This is wrong, right? This is good. This is bad. So I was wondering if you could speak a little of like how how you why I know you're somebody who's actually worked really hard to push back against that in communities that 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 whole Dow activism back. Um, what does that look like, or what what are you what are you thinking about that in this moment as the world gets seemingly more and more polarized and dualistic? I think it's it's really hard. It's really hard because I think that um, anti rights movements and um, militarization, um, it, it comes out of very simple stories and very simple language and very simple kind of like they are bad, we are good. So like we've talked a lot about in this seminar that um, I'm giving with this NGO I'm working with, we, we've talked a lot about narratives, right? And about how the military, it's literally like, if you think about Marvel, right? Like the heroes they're the heroes these like superheroes are going to come save us and yeah they might destruct your city in the process but they're doing it for good right and like this like very simplistic narrative is something that helps people get on board because mm. we want the world to be simple I want the world to be simple I wish that was how it worked like I wish that it was that easy and then right and the government here in Mexico, they use a lot this thing about like, oh, it's just the military is the people on uniforms. Mm. Right? Like there's like this narrative of the good, the heroes that sacrifice for you. And that is a very simplistic way to look at it. But it's also a very easy narrative to kind of wrap your hand around. And so then um, organized crime is just this evil bad people that wish you harm mm -hmm. and so they are going against them and the consequence to our democracy is nothing compared to getting rid of these evil humans that are destroying our country right like that's kind of the very superhero mm -hmm. narrative that goes around the military and so it's very hard to contrast that with there's some grace in this conversation we should talk about. Isn't the police also people in uniforms? Like the people in uniforms aren't organized crime also the people? Like who isn't the people? And how do like why is that something that is a good narrative? Or why are we buying into mm -hmm. that? 
why aren't we asking questions like, like there's a lot of criticism, like, oh, you are white women that are criticizing the military, right? Um, and for me, that's interesting because it's like, that's the way that people can kind of, in Mexico specifically, it's a really good way for people to get a good job with service, um, like the military, is. the military is like a really good place to kind of get that, right? And why aren't we questioning that that's the only place that people have to go? Literally, mm -hmm. like, why isn't it that there's other jobs in this country that can give that kind of prestaciones or that kind of salary or that kind of safety? Why aren't we building things around that can help us get that? And we are not even criticizing the people in the military. We're criticizing the institution. But all the grays around that conversation are hard right. to get. So, so how does play help? There, I was getting there, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you think about, like, for us... It, within movement, right, we need to play and think about our own narratives that are also contrasting this. So a lot of things that happens is if that is the nar narrative that we are going against, let's do the opposite. Uh -huh. And that creates polarization. Like that is literally what's happening. It's like, oh, that's a really simple narrative. So I want to go with a simple narrative contrasting it. I don't have the answer of what would actually work <laughs> because it's hard. But I do think that within our movements and within our groups, we have to start thinking about those hard questions and games are really good way to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. So first of all, I think we need to acknowledge that we are also bad <laughs> like that bad versus good doesn't exist and that we are all a little bit bad and we are all a little bit good and that if we kind of can create a space in which within us we can be like I've done bad things too or I sometimes think things that I'm not proud of or how can I dialogue this with you um through creating safe spaces to play and to use fiction and to improvise and to kind of like hash out ideas, I think that those creative spaces can help us come up with a solution. Mm -hmm. I don't have a solution yet. We are playing around with it. I yeah. don't really know what's going to happen, but I do think that I am, maybe this is a little, <laughs> I don't know, but I think a lot about how they think one of the reasons that we use military is because it's efficient right? Like that's kind of like the narrative. It's efficient. Mm -hmm. In Mexico, we've been doing it since 2006 and there's been no results. So I don't think that it's efficient. The thing is, it, it seems quick, which is not the same thing. Mm -hmm. I think playing is efficient. Mm -hmm. It takes longer, yeah. but it is efficient. Like I do think that when we play around and we kind of let ourselves be creative and think about different solutions and different possibilities, it might take us longer to get to a solution, but the solution might actually have a lot more strength or more possibilities mm -hmm. to construct different ways than trying to get it fast. I think I, I, we're going to take a short break for a second, but for a minute, but I, um, I want to pick up on this because it's, it's suddenly making me think about democracy and what democracy is and its relationship to play so let's take a let's take a short break and then we'll come back hi 
I'm Melissa Meyer, Associate Director of the Eastside Institute. Welcome to All Power to the Developing. I hope you're enjoying today's conversation. In each episode, we introduce you to some amazing performance activists, play revolutionaries, and developmentalists from around the world who talk to us about their creative grassroots efforts to build a better world. If you like what you hear, please follow and share the series. You can find us on Amazon, Spotify, and Podbean. We'd love to hear your comments and ideas. Like everything at the Institute, the growth of all power to the developing depends upon the people who create it and benefit from it. We hope you're one of them. Thanks for your support. And now back to our conversation. All right, welcome back, everybody, to All Power to Developing, and um, my guest, Lorena Elizondo um, in Mexico. And um, thank you for for kind of laying out a little of what I think is a very challenging piece of work, right, which is to be playful with issues that are not only upsetting and challenging to the people you're working with, but to you, right? Um, I mean, we were we were just talking about the the militarization going on in Mexico, and I would say in many places, and how frightening and 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 frightening is frightening is one thing, but also infuriating that this is where we are at this point. So I, I appreciate the conflict of that, mm-hmm. even for you. I wanted to pick up on something that I had never thought about quite before, quite this way, off of what you just said about play being slower, um, but perhaps therefore more efficient than things we think of as efficient solutions that don't really solve anything. And it just made me think about um, my understanding of democracy, that in some ways, most democracies have created what's called an efficient process of a democracy, which is elections and voting. And, um, you know, what that allows us to do is basically take responsibility one day a year. We say what, what our choice is, and then those people are responsible for our democracy. And that's gotten equated with what democracy is. And I hear what you're describing, and I'd never thought about this, the ways in which the kind of play you're talking about, where people come together to muck about in the mess, in the conflict, in the wondering about how the world could be, um, while much slower, might be made more democratic in the sense that it, it, it engages people in the process of creating what we want to see in the world, not just picking between options. And I, that spoke to me, and I wonder if, what, what, where it, ta- if it takes you anywhere. Um, it does. It takes me to several places. First of all, I think play is a way in which more voices can be heard because we all not participate the same way. There are people in the group that are not going to be very talkative or are not going to be the most loud voices. But um, in play, things come out from of their brains and their hearts and their bodies that we wouldn't have heard otherwise, right? Or on creating a document that has some drawing or some way in which there's other types of kind of representation, like some other voices might come out. I, I think one of the brilliant things about theater is that it engages our body whole, right? And it engages all our different ways of participating. And that creates a space in which we can hear each other 
in how each of us want to participate. Mm. And some of us are going to be less active and some of us are going to be more active. And that's okay because creating diverse groups and creating like diverse ways in which we can communicate, I think it's more it, it's more engaging and it's more collective. And in a way it is more democratic, mm. right? One of the things that we talk about a lot when we organize is like, how are we going to take decisions, right? Like what are the decisions that we are going to be making as a group and how are we going to know that we are all agreeing to those decisions? And sometimes it becomes very like how much any vote counts and what, how do you do that? And it can be very tedious and those discussions don't tend to be very playful, <laughs> But um, the play can inform, right, like different ways in which that can happen. And Mm -hmm. I think that it also makes you like that's one thing. And the other thing is that play brings out your conflicts of organization in a very kind of seeming way. Right. So I have this example of this group and it's one of my like it's one of those things that hurt my heart because I feel like Mm -hmm. I failed that group. Um, because it was hard, right? Because um, the person that kind of asked us to go in there and work with the group to collectivize them didn't actually want collective action. Wanted They wanted efficiency. Well, they called it efficiency, mm-hmm. but what they wanted was quick. They wanted it to happen quickly because they had funds and it needed to happen and it, like the action needed to happen tomorrow, right? But when you collectivize, it's hard for that to be fast. Like if you want to hear all the voices... Yeah. And if you use games, you have a way in which not only to kind of make decisions and see and create new ways in which to organize, but it also gives you a way in which to know each other better, right? And do like integration games and figure out like how to solve conflict within our organization. And so we played this game. I mean, I say that it was a failure just because I feel like we never really were able to collectivize in the end, right? Like... But I thought it was amazing how this one game, it was called, it's called um, Crystal Snake. I think it's a Boal game. And um, basically it's a blind game, right? So you get into a circle and you touch like the um, shoulders of the person in front of you and everyone just closes their eyes. It's a blind game. So there's a lot of rules. I'm not going to come into it on how to play safely (laughs) blind. Please don't do this. If you don't have the rules of how to do it safely, but basically you close your eyes and you touch like the neck and the shoulder of the person in front of you. And then you have a snake that walks around the space and then the crystal snake breaks right? So everyone kind of separates and then you have to find, Mm. then you have to bring the snake back together. And without opening your eyes, you have to find the the same person that was in front of you before, Mm. right? So it's an integration game. It's a way in which we can like, kind of like start to know each other, like a little bit better and like get into an uncomfortable situation together. Like when you're organizing, there's a lot of uncomfortable situations in reality. There are conflicts and decisions that need to be made. So this is kind of a fictionalized way in which we're putting ourselves in an uncomfortable situation and trying to fix this problem together. And it reflects a lot of how the group works. And it was so interesting, Carrie, because this group that we were having so much, such a hard time kind of like figuring out how to make the process collective. It was super interesting because they were like around 10, 12 people. And like most of them found their space pretty fast, except the leader of the group. Mm. And the leader of the group found someone who already had someone behind that had already been found. 
and like insisted that that was the person he had to find. And it was, it was really interesting to see because the leader did not once doubt that that was a person that they needed to find, right? Like they were so sure to the point that they pushed the other person to get behind the person that they were sure. Yeah. And then it turned out it wasn't the person they were looking, right? And like it, he, like that leader was the only person missing from the action kind of thing, right? And so like it just became how this one way in which you want to do it your way, mm. right? made everyone into a knot yeah. and then eventually they got it right like it, it was resolved but what was interesting was talking about it afterwards right like what happened there why like like why did we choose to resolve our conflicts like that and I think it comes back to democracy because when you think about democracy just as voting and then having one person kind of do these um like make these decisions, then as long as you found your person, then that's all you need to do. Mm. You found your person and whatever else is happening, you can just go to bed kind of thing. Like I am done. This is like, I have fixed my problem, right? I've done my part and everyone else just kind of has to do their own. And if you think about democracy as we are trying to fix this together and make decisions together, then maybe when one person is kind of trying to find something else, maybe you can, instead of, first of all, instead of the leader just deciding that that was the truth, right? Which is, I, I thought it like a little bit violent, you know? Like, yeah. it was very like, um, the person that knew who, like, could have, could have like moved away. Could right. have, all sorts of things could have happened in that moment. All sorts of that, things could have happened that did not happen, right? Yeah. And in the kind of, how do we resolve things I felt like that that game was a very good reflection of what was happening outside of that yeah well and and I was thinking when you were talking that you can you can see that situation and kind of analyze the problem as being the um you know the boss doing it a particular way but you could also like focus on wow we just created this mess together like look what we did we created this mess together now now how should we how should we go forward and that's part of i think what's missing in so many public conversations around the world is that we can identify the problem but the how are we going to do this together is not and a I question think from what that you're doing asked. is super interesting what you're saying because publicly it's not only we can identify the problem but no one takes accountability for it and in this game what you're saying is we created this problem (laughs) right and not just not as you said not just the person who got it wrong but anybody could have shifted what they were doing in that moment i mean that's the thing when i when i use play in my work one of the things i urge people is yes play the game but also begin to think of ourselves as game creators, right? Like we don't have to play this game the way I'm saying. We could shift it. We could take a risk. We could, we could, but we create rules that then become as static as the rules we're trying to, as activists change, right? This is how it means to be an activist. Um, there's Which, there's this one yeah, game that I think is really good at that, like at thinking about that. I don't know if you've ever played Strasbourg Vampires. 
but it's this like it's also a blind game right and so like you are human and you're walking as a human but if you get your shoulders get tapped kind of thing then you become a vampire and you have to like look for humans and that's kind of like the the only rule is you don't open your eyes you don't flare your hands like beware of the space but it's super interesting because there's like if once we're done and we talk about like, what did you like more? I use this game a lot to talk about what power is and how do we take our own power and like, how do we organize and why collective power can work. Right. Mm. And how sometimes we're blind to seeing each other um, do certain things. And so like when the vampires come, it's just like everyone to itself kind of thing. Right. And like, there's no rule for humans not to organize. Like if humans got back to back, Vampires wouldn't be able to hold them because they have to come from the back. That's huh. right. So if they would just go back to back, then there wouldn't be any right. vampires. But we never think about it because that's not part of the rules, right? Like it's mm. not explicitly said, like, oh, the rule of this game is for you to organize to uh-huh. beat the vampires, right? Like uh-huh. the rule of the game is just like play, go right. play around. And I think it's super interesting because sometimes we think that we're stuck in a role or we're stuck in like, oh, I'm a lawyer. So the only thing I can do is fix laws. Like that is the only way I can participate in activism. And then we start playing. It's like, maybe you can also help with the narrative or like, how do we understand these laws? Like, why don't I, I don't speak lawyer language. Like what other roles can you play? And like, what other ways can what you know be useful in this space? Right. And and those rules are not visible necessarily. And sometimes the games help kind of us see how the those rules, rules that, that, that are binding us that aren't even said. Or, yeah. Yeah. Let me ask one last question before we stop. Um, and I think it ties into what you were just saying. So as you know, the title of this podcast is All Power to the Developing. Um, and you were just talking some about how power can get, what collective power how play might help people discover collective power. Um, what about development for you? How have you seen that in your work and the people that in yourself and the people that you work with for us, development is not just like a set of stages, but like the being able to collectively go somewhere new, break out of the assumptions as we were just talking about. And any, any thoughts about that as we begin to close? I think for me is, um, First of all, I grow with every single game I play with people. Like I am always learning new things and becoming a new person. And I am definitely not the Lorena I was a year ago. Um, And I also think about developing a lot in terms of like life skills. And I think games are a great way to develop empathy and critical thinking and observation skills and self like self-awareness and self-esteem like all these skills that you develop when you are playing and mm-hmm. you are dialoguing and you're collectivizing are skills that later on help you collectivize more right and and like that's kind of an individual way but then you also develop collectively the same group might like I, I use this game for example that is called um you have to count as a group from one to 20 right and like if you or from one to 50 or depending on the group right and you start and the first time you do it groups normally don't get past 10 because they keep like tripping each other right but the more you use the game the more the groups kind of learn how to hear each other and they develop this kind of sense 
and suddenly you have groups that get to 50 when they were and like as a group they're developing skills through different games Mm -hmm. that help them create their work better right and like create yeah talk to each other in a better way and that is power yeah (laughs) creating those kind of mechanisms and developing the way in which we relate to each other especially I think and I will close with this but I think that if we pay attention to the way in which we relate to each other in our spaces and we develop new ways to communicate and new ways to resolve conflicts and new ways in which to interact with each other, we are already developing a new world. Mm. And that will little by little, I hope, um, transcend those spaces in which yeah. we are working. In. I hope so too. And it's, it's been at the core of, my work and the work at the Institute to provide not just not to just critique and deconstruct the horrible things that are going on, but to actually in practice create alternative organizations, alternative activities. And that's what I hear you saying, um, you know, in the face of a very, very challenging moment around the militarization going on in Mexico and the pull to only, only only go at it from what's wrong with that because there's so much wrong with it but if we can't create alternatives for people to come to um so that's what i hear partly speaking to and i really appreciate both you and that that hard work and play that you're doing um and so it's thank what, you. something i admire a lot about your work it's like how you bring always the body into it right mm-hmm. like in you're always thinking about not only like how to go outside but how in here we put our bodies in the work we do and we yeah. kind of take accountability of how our bodies interact in the space and in the world and I'm I'm very thankful that we have these spaces to grow together because I always cool. learn so much from hearing you well let, let's keep growing together so so thank you thank you everybody um all power to the developing our podcast is available on a whole host of podcast um, pa- um platforms So subscribe, follow, like it, listen to the previous podcast. And um, thank you very much, Lorraine. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk soon. Thank you very much, Carrie. It's been a pleasure.